All righty. Good morning. So my name is Caleb. I'm one of the elders here. And uh, it's good to be back with you with only minimal pain in my jaw and uh, complete lack of wisdom. Uh, as I mentioned last time I spoke, I had the last two of my wisdom teeth removed on the 23rd of May. And my jaw is just a little bit tender still at this point, but uh, starting to get back to normal. So thank you for praying for me. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention, um, I was chatting with Julie this morning, and uh, I had failed to mention it last week. I meant to, but it just slipped my mind. Um, if you have a rochester.rr email address, you have not likely received the church newsletter in the last couple weeks. Um, I'm aware of the situation, and so far I have had no success in fixing it. So um, I'm still working on it. I've, I've got a couple more things I can try to do to get it resolved. Um, but the, anybody with a rochester.rr email address, it just keeps bouncing right back to me. Uh, that is the bulk email. I think I can individually email people with that address, but um, I can't do the weekly newsletter. So... Um, you don't need to go refill out a Connect card if you have one of those addresses and uh, haven't seen the email in a couple weeks. Um, I, I'm working on getting a resolution to it, so hopefully, hopefully we'll see that soon. And I apologize for you not being able to see what's going on here at the church and uh, try to find a workaround for that, so thank you. Um, today we are continuing in our series in First John entitled The Gospel Transformed Life. And the message today is called A Life of Love. And since Mike basically shared every passage that I'm going to be sharing from, I only have about two pages left of notes. So, no, it's, it's all good. Actually, when he quoted from Second John, I thought that that was helpful because I had that originally in my message and I took it out. So, good job. We didn't even sit down and talk about that one. Uh, so, last week, Mike shared from First John, the passage before ours today, and showed us yet another diagnostic from John to give believers assurance that they indeed are children of God. He showed us how the believer's nature has been transformed. Whereas once the practice was sin, now the believer's pattern of life is that of righteousness. The first point of John's letter, uh, as we've been going through these last three chapters, is that God is light. And beginning in verse 11, he's going to transition into another major point, and that is that God is love. It's said that as uh, the Apostle John um, got older, he's the only, only apostle to not die a martyr's death, though attempts were made. Um, he died of old age, but as he would be carried in on a pallet into the church, he would cry out, my dear children, love one another. And the writer said that basically it got to the point where people started to kind of get annoyed with this, as he would just always shout, love one another, love one another, love one another. And they asked him, why, why are you yelling love one another? Why is that all you ever say to us? And he said, because if you do that, everything else will fall into place. And so we're going to see again today that very message, love one another. And as Mike shared, it's, it's all over the New Testament, this command that's given to us. John will give us another diagnostic this morning, but I want to remind us of the context because I think that the context of this letter really helps us to understand how these diagnostics work in the life of a believer. 
John writes to a church that has seen a large schism. A group of people have left denying sin's existence and denying the need for a savior. They claim that they had such special knowledge that the others who remained in the church did not have, but they had this really super special knowledge, so they've kind of transcended above the the need for Jesus. Eventually, this teaching, this false teaching, uh, kind of laid the roots to a movement that would become known as Gnosticism. And this false teaching taught that sin was of the flesh, and since they were of the spirit, they had no sin. This division in the church and the teachings from these people really wounded the church deeply. And so John writes to provide comfort and to give assurance to the believers who remained. And so when we look at this context, it's easier to see how these diagnostics actually help and were not written to unsettle believers. We often approach these diagnostics without the help of context of the writing and and what uh, the audience who would have been receiving this letter were going through. And so we think of these tests as something that was written directly for me that I need to pass in order to be a Christian. But John wrote these as if to say, here's how I know that you are truly believers. Look at all of this fruit. And certainly they are good reminders for us to consider, and they're good for us to apply to our lives, but we always must remember that the diagnostic is not a prescription. They help us to reveal what is already going on inside of the heart. And so we're going to begin and read our passage, but first we're actually going to read verse 10. So we're going to step back one verse uh, to get a running start for today's passage. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his, excuse me, his brother. So what verse 10 shows us before we get to verse 11 uh, is that we have been and are talking about two distinct families. There's the family of God with its distinct characteristics, uh, love, um, a love for one another, love for our brothers and sisters, and then there's the family of the devil which practices unrighteousness. So the one who loves is of God and the one who doesn't is not of God. This hallmark of love that we're going to really look at today, flows naturally for the child of God from the believer's position in Christ. And so let's read verses 11 through 18. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brothers. Whoever does, not abide, or who, whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And so this morning we're going to look at two points. Love one another and serve one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we just ask that you would uh, open our hearts to receive from you this morning. That we would grow in our knowledge of you and of your grace, Lord. And uh, just ask that you would do wonderful things here this morning. 
Uh, just continue to shape and mold our hearts after yours, Lord. Fill us with your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so love one another. You know, if you were to put a microphone in the face of any random person on the street today and say, what is it that the world needs? I think a lot of people, maybe most, uh, would say that the world needs love. We hear it in songs and from celebrities all the time. I just wish everyone around the world would love one another. Uh, I saw an interview just this week where somebody was interviewed, a celebrity was interviewed, and that was the response. Just wish that there was world peace and that we would just love one another. The famous song written by Jackie DeShannon says, What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. The love that the world craves, that the world thinks will solve everything, is just not possible for those who remain in darkness. We've talked about love previously in chapter 2, where John wrote to show that the one who loves his brother is walking in the light. Those who hate are walking in darkness. He said it was not a new commandment. And here in chapter 3, verse 11, he says this is the message that we've heard from the beginning. Love is at the heart of the gospel. Before we see the command to love one another, we must see the source, uh, our source, of this supernatural uh, enabling power to obey. Let's, let's look at that source. Uh, because later, um, at, you know, throughout this next few section, or this next section here, next couple chapters, we're going to constantly see this theme of love pop up. So how do we do it? Well, John will tell us that God is love. His love is his very nature. The love of God flows from his very being. This love of God is most clearly seen in the gospel. That is, the work of Jesus on the cross fully accomplished salvation for sinners, restoring relationship and fellowship with God, and granted new life that will be enjoyed together forever with God. The love of God is the source of this atonement, the reconciliation of God and mankind through the death of Jesus. God's love for people is not earned because Christ died for them, but rather Christ died for uh, his people because God loved them first. We see this heart of the gospel in scripture. And uh, just remind you of the passages that Mike read just a moment ago. We're going we're gonna to hit a few of those. Uh, first, though, a very familiar passage, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his son. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So this love didn't come after you had been born again. It came while you were still sinners. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. This love of God is what drives our adoption. As sons and daughters, as we saw last week in 1 John 3.1, where it says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. I love the part that actually just says, so we are. It's talking about our being, 
who we are. We're not becoming children of God. We are children of God, those who have been born again. At the heart of the gospel is love. The Father has given this love to us and adopted us as children. And not only has he given this love to us and shown this love for us, he demonstrated this love for us in Christ. He has, by the Holy Spirit, regenerated us. That is, given us a new heart and a new nature that is now able to love with his love. Romans 5, 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's not only been poured into our hearts, but it's what begins to come out of our hearts as well. Paul writes in Galatians 5.22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And of course, there's other fruits of the Spirit that follow, but we're keying in on love today. So love flows out of God's love for us. Our love for others flows out of his love for us. And so that's the gospel source. That's his power enabling us through grace to love others. And what does that look like? Well, in Ephesians three fourteen through 19, Paul writes this really amazing prayer that he has for the church at Ephesus. And I've, I've read through this a number of times um, in messages, and um, it's, it's just a really incredible prayer. And so oftentimes in our Thursday morning prayer meetings, at some point this passage gets mentioned. But Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses, surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And remembering uh, what is to come in 1 John 4, that God is love, to be filled with the fullness of God must include his love. That we would know his love. That we would be filled with his love. And so today, I'm going to make a mess. I was talking to Chanel uh, a good bit um, about the message and the passage, and uh, she kind of gave me this idea, although I'm not entirely following her instructions. Um, she talked about water dispersion and all sorts of things that were above my head, and uh, which isn't difficult. Um, and oh yes, Scott's got the mop. I, hey, I did lay down, I did lay down some plastic and a towel, and I've got paper towels on standby. Um, so it's going to make a mess, though. It's not Kool-Aid. It's not Kool-Aid. Um, it's blue, but it's not Kool-Aid. Um, I, I, I don't know if I'd advise drinking it. Um, it is just food coloring, but um, it's probably not the best just to drink water with food coloring. Uh, but it's going to make a mess, and I picked the wrong day to be wearing a really light-colored shirt because there's going to be some splashing. But as God lo- God's love fills us, it overflows, and it touches our neighbors, specifically as we're looking in our passage, the brothers, or um, as you'll see your footnote in your ESV, brothers and sisters. Um, as this love overflows, it can't help but touch other people's lives. More than just brothers and sisters in Christ, it touches everyone you're around. 
So this water, this blue water, I made it blue so you guys could have a better chance at seeing it, but then I didn't think about the fact that most of our lights are somewhat tinted blue. Uh, but let's see if I can do this. So the, the water is filling the cup, and it begins to spill over. Something's wrong with this back cup. It's not getting filled with anything. <laughs> but as you see, and as my mess is kept to a minimal, minimal We'll just let that be for a bit. Um, as that water, you know, that lovely shade of blue water overfills that top cup, it was supposed to fill all four cups, but the building kind of tilts one direction. Um, it fills the other cups. And that's because when you're being filled with something like God's love, uh, you, you can't really contain it and keep that to yourself. It just naturally overflows. And we're constantly being filled and filled again by the Spirit of God. We're being filled and filled again with His love. More of God Himself and His grace and His goodness. And so that just naturally comes out of us. I say naturally, but really it's supernaturally. Because it is a work of the Holy Spirit as He's working in our hearts. He's constantly filling us and, and because of that touching others around us. Someone who is full of God's Spirit and full of God's love is going to affect other people. And so with all of this understanding of what God's love is like and how we receive this love and how this love overflows towards our brothers and sisters in Christ, we come to verse 11 again. We haven't even gotten to the first verse really here. Here's what we're called to do. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. This command is not full of obligation. This command is not a chore. This is what is overflowing out of us as we receive God's love. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4.9, Mike read it just a moment ago, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. God is working in our hearts already to love one another. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Love is a family characteristic. We all know how families work. There are certain characteristics that we have that our children just naturally, whether you want them to or not, just kind of follow suit and do. It's how they're, they're wired, because they see mom and dad, and it just becomes normal for them. So be imitators of God, because God is love. And so that's what comes natural as a family characteristic for us. Because we are in Christ, we are growing more and more into his likeness. Love is a fruit that is growing in the children of God, because it is the nature of God himself, and he is producing himself... In us. In verse 12, John turns to the example of Cain to show a contrast to love. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And so let's read the story of Cain and Abel found in Genesis chapter 4. You know, 
I mentioned last week, uh, as we just kind of mentioned the the stuff that we've seen in the news lately, the horrible shootings and, and tragic events that we've seen, and one of the you know things that we constantly hear is that man is inherently good. Um, this is just a, a health issue, a mental health issue, and certainly there are lots of mental health issues at, going on in the world. But man is inherently sinful and evil. That is who we are apart from God. And I don't know what uh, page this is on your Bible, but in the one that I have in my hands, murder enters the world on page 5 and has been a part of humanity ever since. And so let's read this, the first 16 verses of Genesis 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. <coughs> Excuse me. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden, and I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So John has used comparisons um, to teach his readers theological truths before. We've seen that actually quite often from uh, our reading Darkness and light, those who deny their sin and those who confess their sin, those who love the world and those who love the Father. And here again, we have another set of comparisons, love and hate. Cain's actions revealed who his spiritual father was. Listen to what Jesus taught in John eight forty four: You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so Cain's spiritual father was the devil. Daniel Aiken, commentator, writes, The word murder means to butcher, slay, or slaughter. It speaks of a violent and brutal killing. And what were Cain's motives? Moved by his spiritual father, the evil one, his heart was filled with jealousy, envy, and resentment. Let's continue with verses 13 through 15. Do not be surprised, brother, that the, brothers, that the world hates you. 
We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So John writes, do not be surprised, or literally stop being surprised. John's audience apparently was already experiencing some level of persecution from those who had left the church. He is showing the readers that it is natural for the world to hate you because its spiritual father hates you. John told, or Jesus told us that this would be so in John 15, 18 through 20. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they, also, they will also keep yours. So this is the natural state of things. As believers living in the 21st century, we should expect this for us today as well. That the world is at enmity with God and also with us. The world hates us. Now, this is not an exhortation or an encouragement for you to go stir up persecution. We shouldn't be actively looking for it. Um, you don't want to just run up to somebody, punch them in the face, and be like, hit me because I'm a Christian. That's not a good example of this. Uh, but the heart of man is sinful and naturally opposed to goodness. When we see the things unfolding on the news and you know, maybe we hear of stories of believers being persecuted uh, for righteousness sake, it shouldn't be a surprise to us. Yes, we can have a reaction to it, certainly. It can grieve our hearts. It can cause us to be uh, even angry at times, but it shouldn't surprise us. That that happens because that is the natural state. The heart of man is at war with God. Now, there is certainly common grace, and there are unbelievers out there that are kind, they are nice, they are loving uh, towards others, including believers. Not every unbeliever desires to physically murder someone. But Jesus, using the law, shows us that even anger in the heart is murder in the eyes of God. Matthew five twenty one and 22, you have heard it. You heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. What John is showing us is that there are two families, the family of God and the family of the devil, those in darkness, those in light, those who hate, and those in love. John writes to his readers, Uh, So that they would know the ones who left and are likely persecuting in some way those who remain, that they are of their father, the devil. And they are acting as those who are in darkness. What drives their persecution is the same hatred that was at the heart of Cain when he murdered his brother. And so this shouldn't surprise the believer. It is a marker of those who are not of the family of God. This description of the world is what the believer once was as well. So before we get high and lofty in our own thoughts of who we are, um, let us remember that outside the grace of God, this is who we once were as well. But the gospel has changed the believer and love is now at the heart of the believer. It's at the heart of the gospel message. And so where the gospel has taken root, love will be the fruit that the spirit produces. This love provides assurance to the believer that one has passed from spiritual death 
to eternal life and lives in an ongoing pattern of loving the brothers and sisters in Christ. John is not saying that eternal life is earned by loving one another, but rather that loving others is evidence that one has eternal life. It is the fruit thereof. As well, it's important for us to note that while John would affirm our love for men and women in general, uh, he is specifically calling us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul says something similar in Galatians 6.10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so we're encouraged and commanded to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're told not to be like Cain. The reality is that the believer will not live in an ongoing pattern of hatred towards his brothers and sisters. At times, though, the believer will give in to the flesh and sin in this way. We still have this flesh with us, and it is at war with the spirit. The flesh still craves these things, and so at times we will give in to the flesh. But the predominant aroma of the life of the believer is love. And so this is a diagnostic. This is a way that we can see that we indeed are believers. Our nature has changed, and this new nature loves. John is also not showing that murder is an unforgivable sin, but he does show that hate and death go together. The ongoing pattern of hatred in the life of a person is evidence that they are of their father, the devil. This person is dead in their sins and trespasses. But resurrection life can still take place if that person puts their faith in Christ. We've seen how love is at the heart of the gospel and is the evidence of a life that has been transformed by the gospel. The believer has been adopted into the family of God, and now love is the hallmark of the believer's life. Let's look at verses 16 through 18 to see what this love will look like as we look at how to serve one another. Just give me a second because I took my bookmark out. So verses 16 through 18, by this, we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So the second example here, because John gives us two examples, first Cain, uh, but the second is actually the example of Jesus. Jesus gave his life to bring about the salvation of those who would believe. John doesn't give us this example as if to say we could ever earn such an amazing gift or that by our death we could some way earn something for another. Rather, he is showing what agape love, God's kind of love, the, the Greek word that is translated to love in our passage today. Each time you see love, it is agape, a form of agape. Uh, he's showing us what that looks like. This type of love is not an emotional love. It's not one born of sentiment. Agape love is sacrificial. It's serving with no regard for my own life or my own betterment. This love is unmerited. It's gracious. And it's unconditional. Now, certainly we can never do this perfectly. And we can't even do it at all in our own strength. This type of love can only come from the Lord as he works in our heart. 
And so this kind of love is the kind that's mentioned in Galatians 5. This is the fruit of the Spirit. John is instructing his readers to love one another by serving one another. And this is a tangible expression of what's occurred on the inside of our hearts. What has changed, how we've been changed, and uh, this is one way we express that. Rather than closing our heart towards each other, we are willing to serve, to give of ourselves, even to the point of laying down our lives for each other. This is love. The gospel doesn't say, give away all your possessions. Give up all your time. Give up your life to become more worthy of God's love. The gospel says you have received the love of God freely in Christ Jesus when he chose you and died for you and rose again. Now, having received this wonderful salvation, you are being filled with God's love, and now you have love for God. You have his love in you, and you are loving his people as well. As the Spirit of God continues to shape you and mature you and build you up, so love and serve one another. Don't close your heart to others. What does this open heart look like? Acts 2, 42 through 47 is a good example. Uh, it's a familiar passage, but it says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So here we see a glimpse into the life of the early church. And it's just a glimpse. Certainly they were not perfect in this either. But in verse 45, the author Luke says that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And this simply means they looked out for each other. As any natural family would. You know, if, if you've got brothers or sisters, if there's a need, maybe uh, your parents or something, um, you see a need, you do what it takes to meet that need. If it means that you do have to sell something to get some cash to help this need, you do it. Why? Because you love your family. The same thing goes for us as spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ. We see each other as close, if not closer, than natural family. And back to the example of water overflowing the cups. As God's love fills you, it overflows and you desire to serve others to meet needs, because this is a new spiritual reality. We have been born again and are living in a new spiritual family, connected by the love of Jesus, connected by his blood. We now share that relationship together. Practically speaking, how we serve each other will always look different. It's not always going to look like Acts 2, verse 45. You know, it's not always going to look like having to sell everything so that you can meet a need. That was just how the early church met those needs. It may mean spending time with somebody. It may mean sharing meals. It may mean watching a couple's children when an emergency arises. It is serving in the means that you have available to you to come alongside and bear each other's burdens. It may mean praying with somebody. It may just be an encouraging hug when you see that your brother or sister 
is down in the dumps. How we serve each other uh, doesn't really matter what it looks like. It just matters the heart that it comes from, and that's the heart of love that God has poured into you. So as the love of God resides in you, you will love, as John describes, not simply in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. As we conclude this morning, let us consider the world around us. When we see the horrible things such as tragic shootings, abortion, and more, we're moved to grief and sorrow over the brokenness of this world. We see that the world is indeed broken and that darkness is prevalent all over. But as first John said earlier, or John said in first John earlier, the light is already dispelling the darkness. And so we do have hope in the midst of all of these horrible things that the love of God can reach hearts and lives. Not every one of the situations I described, like uh, the events that we've seen on the news, is persecution towards righteousness or believers. They are the result of sin, however. Sin in the heart of mankind. And sin and evil will act out towards anyone, including those who are not uh, believers. It will act out towards anyone. The account of Cain shows us that murder came quickly following the entrance of sin into the world, and that murder is the result of hate. Hate and death go together. We may mourn over this wickedness and grieve over the depravity of this world, but let us not be surprised by it. The believer will at times struggle with a closed heart. You can struggle with this. You can sin in this way as you give in to the flesh. But it is not our state of life as a believer. Our new state of life is that of love. And so we are encouraged to flee from this type of hatred. Live in the new life of love that now characterizes you as a believer. Serve one another. John Stott summarizes this passage well for us. Hatred characterizes the world whose prototype is Cain. It originates in the devil issues in murder, and is evidence of spiritual death. Love characterizes the church, whose prototype is Christ. It originates in God, issues in self-sacrifice, and is evidence of eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love that you have so graciously and abundantly poured out into our hearts through Christ Jesus. We thank you that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you that you've made us alive again, that you've taken us while we were dead in our sins and trespasses, and you've made us alive in Christ Jesus. You've given us a new heart and taken away the heart of stone, the heart of darkness, the heart of hatred. You've given us a heart of love, a heart of life. Father, I ask that you would fill each one of us with more of your Holy Spirit and more of your love. Help us to abound in your love, Lord. We just thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for saving us, Lord. Help us to serve one another. Help us to see needs uh, that our brothers and sisters may have. Help us to uh, feel just that overwhelming love that you had for us towards each other and help us to meet those needs. Help us to see them and meet them 
and give of ourselves, enabled by your supernatural grace. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.